Welcome to the Arkansas Wildlife Podcast, the official podcast of the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. We are talking hunting, fishing, and conservation with engaging guests and in-depth discussions with game and fish staff. It's Arkansas Wildlife, the podcast for all things outdoors in the natural state. Welcome to the Arkansas Wildlife Podcast, a new podcast from the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. Appreciate y'all listening in, and I am joined today, I'm Trey Reed, and I am joined today by Austin Booth, the director of the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. Austin, what's up, man? Hey, Trey. It's good to be here. Luke Naylor, Chief of Wildlife Management at Game and Fish. Hey, Trey. What's good to up? see you again. Good to see you. I, I, I saw you in the field yesterday. I thought we'd get get started. It, it's, it's the time of year when everybody's getting outside, and uh, we did some teal hunting, September teal season. We did, and uh, it's nice to get out on that hunt every year. A uh, little kind of a kind of a short-lived opportunity for duck hunters to get their first first shot at some some waterfowl ducks. Anyway, of course, Canada goose season's been open for a little while, but uh, yeah, a lot of fun to get out there and feel a little north breeze as well. A little so weird. Nice. It's it's almost a cross between a dove hunt and a and a duck hunt. I mean, it's, it's a hybrid. That's a hybrid. It's a little bit yes. of both. It does but require water. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And blue wing teal are mighty tasty. They're delicious and uh, a, a nice challenging wing shot like like Dove can be. Absolutely. Well, Austin, how about you? What, what kind of uh, outdoor adventures have you been embarking on? Yeah, so <clears throat> spent last weekend uh, chasing deer. Uh, had a fairly productive weekend. And uh, then chased some frogs. Oh, we caught. Uh, I was with some buddies down in Southwest Arkansas, and we caught. Uh, we caught about twenty six pounds of frogs. Late season bullfrog hunting. Yes, yeah. I dig it. I yeah. dig it. Well, that's the great thing about. Uh, I, I it got a little warm recently in, in in September, but I guess that's one benefit. You can still find some frogs out there. Yeah, and then the preponderance of my time, I can uh, really just point back to you and the member of today's show that you have not yet introduced <laughs> yeah well let's let's the let's introduce coop which is a new black lab puppy that uh that that you, you recent, recently joined the booth family that's right coop is uh an 11 week old black ball of energy and caloric consumption uh and uh my three kids at home are thrilled to death to have a dog in the house again after we lost ours in march and uh, she'll probably be more productive than anybody else on this podcast. <laughs> well, she'll, she's definitely the cutest. Sure. <laughs> There's no doubt about <laughs> No that. question. No question. Well, if, you, uh, if you're watching the uh, video version of this podcast and you, you see a little shakiness in the, uh, in, in the camera, that's because Coop really likes the foot of the tripod on which that camera sits. <laughs> Possibly because that tripod was on a teal hunt with, with three dogs and... Uh, I think what thirty teal that were uh, reduced to possession. Sure. Yeah, yesterday. a lot of a lot of really aromatic marsh mud too. So there's probably some of that still, yeah, still yeah. in the the stand there. And uh, I'll just point out for our video viewers, there's a roll of paper towels sitting on <laughs> on the table here. What, uh, what, what else do we have here, Austin? This is <laughs> product placement. I like this. This is not an endorsement of Nature's Miracle Pet Solution, but uh, it nonetheless made an appearance before we went live, along yeah. with these paper towels. All right. Good job, Coop. Way to, way to uh, break the ice <laughs> on this Arkansas Game and Fish podcast. Well, we're not here to talk about uh, uh, our, our, our puppies exclusively today or our, our early season and hunting adventures, but instead to talk uh, about something that is probably one of the most misunderstood 
types of habitat management that we do at the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, and that is timber management. Uh, we cut trees down uh, for the benefit of wildlife and the future forest, uh, but to hear some folks uh, respond to that, uh, you would think that we were, uh, you know, uh, eliminating the rainforest in the Amazon basin. Uh, and, and that's really not the case. And, and so we want to take a little bit of a deep dive in, into that today. Uh, uh, Austin as director and, and Luke as the chief of wildlife management to talk about why we do it. What are we doing? Uh, and let's start with, I was down just the other day, and I know both of you have been there to Biomita, and we have a what some might say a historic timber sale uh, going on there. Uh, pretty pretty big operation that duck hunters will no doubt notice in, in archery and muzzleloader deer hunters even before them. Uh, so I'll just throw it out to both of you. What's what's going on? What uh, what what's happening with timber management on game and fish lands? It is historic. Uh, you know th- we haven't done active uh, forest management down there in, at Biomeda and a lot of our WMAs for for quite a while. Uh, for various reasons, a lot of it has to do with water in these these bottom and hardwood forests. Just having the conditions we need uh, and contractors need to get equipment in and out and effectively execute a, a timber harvest without major lasting damage uh, due to just muddy conditions that that just kind of tear the place up. We don't want that to happen. Um, so, haven't had a lot of that for several years. And we have had that, as most folks know, with a, a major drought in July that we've, you know, kind of come out of a little bit, but but we're still extremely dry down there. Um, so, yeah, all of our forest management, typically habitat management across the state is is uh, formally or informally, I guess, driven by a, a desire to reach desired forest conditions. And so there's a lot of folks who've worked on that over the years. And so it's just a simple term that describes the 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 state of the forest, kind of what what you want it to look like. Species composition, uh, structure of the forest is really, really important. Um, age of the forest fits into that. Um, we want uneven aged forest stands. We're not doing even age management um, in, in, this for, in the forestry management we do. So all of those things, that's really what we're striving for. So our folks, our habitat biologists, write prescriptions for what will get a particular stand in a forest to those or at least moving toward desired forest conditions and that's what we're doing at biomeda um people have heard a lot about our work with the green tree reservoirs this really goes hand in hand with it uh we're trying to promote red oak regeneration in places where it where red oaks should be the predominant species but may or may not be right now or are uh kind of declining in prevalence in a particular stand so we're taking actions to try to correct that yeah, Trey, so being in this job 14 months now, I'm not a forester, not a biologist, and so I've had to l- learn quite a bit throughout the entire agency, but really probably more so than anything else in the topic of forest management just from the perspective of a layman. And one of the things that I think I subconsciously understood, but but really the past 14 months have, have driven it home as – as we've undertaken more forest management, more proactive forest management, and I've learned more about it, is that Mother Nature is always going to provide the next forest, always. And so as we hear from people on what forest management looks like and why we're doing it, 
one of the things that really hit home with me is Mother, Na- Mother Nature doesn't need any help providing the next forest. The second question from that is, is that forest going to meet the expectations of the wildlife and of the Arkansans that enjoy those wildlife uh, on our wildlife management areas? So we're managing for a specific purpose with these wildlife management areas. And when we go to a biometa that has, you know, 30 to 40 years of overdue forest management uh, and we see very old age, uh, age structure trees, and then not a lot of regen on the forest floor from red oaks or from, from white oaks. It might look like a healthy forest, and it is from Mother Nature's perspective, because that regen is happening. But it's going to be sycamore, and it's going to be elm and hackberry and a bunch of other stuff that the wildlife don't need and that the sportsmen aren't going to enjoy 20, 30, 40 years from now. And so so it's incumbent on us as Arkansas sportsmen and as a conservation agency to in, ensure not just that Mother Nature is going to provide a forest, but is that forest going to meet the wildlife management needs? I, I think a, a, a key aspect of this to bring up at this point and, and and we're all talking to a lot of people austin you know we we had the the gtr meetings last year sure. and, and we're, we're talking specifically right now about uh, about biomeda and and how this forest management uh, dovetails with our our water level management uh later later date of holding water uh, uh trying to move water through the system as opposed to holding it at a static level but one of the things that i always bring up uh, and as I'm sure you do as well, there's, I think, a misconception that like every every forest in Arkansas is like a virgin forest and it's yeah. never been touched by man and never been manipulated. And, and I always tell them it's like, well, that genie came out of the bottle many, 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 many decades ago, a century ago in some cases. And so now we have to manage a force that we, we've been dealt a hand of cards That's and right. we've got to, got to, got to manage it. What would you all say to, 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 you know, yeah. try to clarify that what, what I'm not very uh, articulating very well right now. Well, it's been, as we've gone back through with our GTR efforts, it's been, it's been fascinating to me. If you, you sit back and, and, uh, we've kind of looked through old records for a lot of our WMAs, how they were purchased, uh, what, what state they were purchased in, uh, going back through the forties, fifties and sixties in, in many, most cases. And, uh, Henry Gray Hurricane Lake is a neat example that you think about. Well, nothing's ever been done there, right? Nobody's like you say that, that what nobody's that forest is just the way it is because that's the way it is, and it, it's it's just always existed in the way in the status that we see it today. And you go back and look that one. There's some neat records about that company. I, I believe it's Hurricane. I believe it's a Singer sewing machine company had contracts, so we would we would enter into an acquisition agreement for a property, but in, in, we found, that, found this frequently on these wildlife management areas where there would be a, an open timber harvest contract when we bought the areas. And we did not have any in con- control when we first bought those properties over what happened with that timber harvest. So they did things out on Hurricane that were, for example, diameter cuts, which is not what we do today. And that's not a, a modern wildlife forest management practice is a simple diameter cut where you go in and you say, you tell a logger every tree under or over this number, like over 14 inches diameter, every single one of those trees gets taken. 
And that's what happened on a, on several of our wildlife management areas, including Hurricane, uh, including Biomeda. And now, 80-some years later, we're looking at that forest that was actually created by aggressive, not wildlife-focused harvest. So you, have a, you do have red oaks that responded to the light that was put on the ground. They were always there. But but you essentially ended up with with a lot of red oaks because those timber harvests put a lot of sunlight on the ground, which we know is beneficial to red oak germination and, and survival. So, yeah, it's not at all an unmanaged system, an untouched an untouched system. It's all been been manipulated in some way over the years, and we're simply now trying to make sure that what we're doing lines up with a long term vision for what the places look like. And. I'll just tee up a softball question for Luke here. Uh, understand for wildlife management purposes, uh, if we want red oaks, if we want uh, white oaks, not necessarily bottom one GTRs, but um, elsewhere, we need the ground to stay dry and we need sunlight on the ground. We make sure those two things happen. Oftentimes, Mother Nature can take care of the rest just from acorn drop. Uh, however, hell help us go down one step further and clarify for the listeners if we know we need to go in and do forest management how exactly are we deciding which trees go which trees stay are we looking if we're not looking to do diameter cuts then what is our methodology for how we get from where we are now to where we want to go yeah good question so it's not being a forester myself as i've learned about this stuff over the years with the help of our forestry folks and and our habitat coordinator, Rob Willie, I mean, we're, so, so at Biomeda, we're doing gap regeneration harvest and, and variable retention harvest, two different methods to get at this. this Explain what, yeah, what notion, those are. Yeah, yeah. And this notion of desired forest conditions. So we just, I'll just go with the, the gap retention harvest that, that a lot of folks are seeing happening down at, at Biomeda now. They'll, you know, we'll, we'll go in there and find existing forest gaps maybe there's a couple of wind-thrown dead trees and and start there and build off uh those gaps and and so they'll essentially kind of move around and it, and it creates this thick and thin mosaic throughout the area where they'll go in and and actually mark trees right it's the blue plant blue paint you see on a tree and they'll go mark them and and they'll the, the the goal there is to create regenerated regeneration gaps so literally create a gap in the forest canopy that allows red oaks to get the sunlight they need to germinate they'll build around a seed tree for example you may go they'll go through there and find a good condition willow oak good relative to all the rest of them and and it's looks like it's going to continue continue to produce acorns a healthy tree that's going to last a number of right, years. Right, right, or, or or acorns, or acorns. It's Either, acorns. Let's, <clears throat> let's we we we're going to drop that, or are we going to move on? Are we going to let's 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 move on? Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the 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 nuts that drop from a willow oak. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So they're <laughs> the mass crop. The mass crop. Thank you very much. So, yeah. What they'll they'll, they'll leave those trees right, they'll, and they'll build a gap around that tree. That that will be the seed tree. That's way cheaper way more efficient than going out and trying to actually plant trees we don't do we do very little tree planting in forest management we try to work with what's there getting back to what austin was saying yeah. about mother nature can mother can nature, handle this we can handle it if we give her a chance 
And, and that's a big part of what we're doing is trying to pair water management with forest management, like we've done at Biomedia, where we publicize in hey, these bottomland systems. Yeah, in the bottomland. Yeah, yeah, right. In the bottomland systems, in, in the uplands, the the corollary is fire, where we right. pair forest management with fire. In the bottomlands, we pair forest management with water, the best we can, because that's the other disturbance on the landscape. So, at Biomedia, you know, we've talked about, hey, we're going to drop the water level six inches, you know, a foot, and where we're doing timber harvest is in those areas that will be below our max elevation where we hold water the next several years at Biomeda, as, as we've you know told folks about. So trying to pair it all together, build those gaps. So, so that's what people will see. They'll go out there, and that's typically when we get the, the messages, get the phone calls, uh, typically to the, to the directorate the commission other um, or on live radio or, that i do on some mornings <laughs> live radio other uh you know influential folks across the state um that's typically the photos that are of our of our clear cuts as they're called well they're not they're not clear cuts they're a lot of trees removed from a gap and then no trees removed and then down here a quarter mile is, an, is another gap um so uh, that's a that's a real it's an art really. I want to be very clear that there isn't some hard science that says this is how many trees you should take out of this gap or this is how big this gap should be or the gap should be this far apart. Wildlife management is still as much an art as it yep. is a science, and so we're learning as we go as well. And that's a perfect segue into what I hoped you would talk about next, Luke. Is it is an art? There's subjectivity in this and uh, completely understand that when you see a log truck leaving a wildlife management area, it feels like progress, but it also hurts too. And, yeah. and yeah. I mean, oftentimes there's, there's, there's healthy white oaks on that uh, logging truck too. Um, and I mean, just to be clear, we're not only pulling out unhealthy trees. We're saying, what trees do we need to take out uh, that are so dominant to the point that they're not going to let any regen around them happen? But understanding that there is some subjectivity to this, that this is art, what steps have we taken to bring in some third-party accountability into how we're doing forest management? Yes, yeah, so we've, we've uh, last several years, I guess, we've gotten registered um, through the Sustainable Forestry Initiative, so SFI certification for all of our, our, our WMAs, and our forest management has third-party annual uh, third-party audits that uh, kind of oversee, do, they do kind of in-the-office checks, you know, hey, what are we keeping track of, uh, how are we monitoring, what kind of data are we collecting, those sorts of things you do in the office, but they'll, they'll also go out annually and evaluate what we're doing on the ground so there there is a third party involved uh taking a look at what we're doing make sure it's sustainably uh dr driven um with sustainability in mind and uh you know natural resources sustainability not like sustainability of income production from from logging it's two different sorts of objectives here so yeah, we've got third-party review on that. It, it, it's always fascinating to go to these places because it's just like any any outdoor activity in, you might participate in. I mean, you get a half dozen duck hunters in one spot, and you're going to have at least a half dozen different opinions about the what the right thing to do is as a particular typical particular day's hunt. Right? You may everybody has different ways they see the situation, 
And so that's absolutely going to be true in forest management. Uh, and we, so, so someone may go out and look at forest, you know, you mark this wrong, or you mark that wrong. Well, you know, it's really, it, it, it's, it's just, it's it subjective, is subje- it's yeah. subjective yeah. but, but it's about the long-term vision and where are we moving the forest? When you step back bigger picture and you do kind of the, kind of the forest inventories, the forest, uh, like the, 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 the marketable, merchantable timber metrics, things like that. What does the forest look like before the harvest? What it looks like after that's your big picture evaluation of, Hey, we're moving this forest this direction by taking mature white overcup oak and leaving mature willow oak for example sure. I, I wanted to follow up and, and i'll direct this to you awesome i mean you, you've you've done some presentations recently about you know our our our, our past and an annual report and our future and so it kind of ties in with that luke mentioned something about sustainability and not a sustainability for future timber harvest for monetary value sure. i think that's probably and, and i I, you know, I don't know how pervasive this is, but I see a lot of talk on social media, and you, I know we all get the get the calls and the questions like, "Game and Fish is just just trying to make money off this resource." Right. Address that if you would. Yeah. Well. F- well. First, I'll just approach it from the perspective of of timber sales aside. Just this. Oh well, Game and Fish is just all all about the money, and uh, I I. I believe that state agencies should function in the black. All right. Uh, So from that perspective, I hope that we manage our resources well. Uh, So turning to the timber harvest, um, you know, they're called timber sales, but that's only one piece of the forest management that we do. Uh, Yes. Some of, of the forest management that, that we undertake for the benefit of the resource is merchantable, right? So uh, we will we will issue timber sales on what is merchantable. Uh, but then another piece of of the forest management is unmerchantable stuff, right? Things that are crap, things that no one wants to pay uh, any money for. And so we have to take care of that stuff too. Now, if you look at our uh, our budget from last fiscal year. Uh, our budget was roughly $94 million. And our timber revenue uh, from last year's budget was less than 0.1%. All right, less than 0.1%. So th- this is not some kind of money maker where we're funding the agency through uh, timber sales. It's absolutely ludicrous. And then even if we were, Trey, uh, People say, well, I demand that all of that money go back to the wildlife management area. Well, guess what? These wildlife <laughs> management areas are funded in large part through Pittman-Robertson dollars. And one of the restrictions with Pittman-Robertson is any kind of program income, any kind of income generated from the wildlife management area is already required by law to go back into the wildlife management area system. So number one, we're not self-funding the agency through force management. That's ludicrous. And number two, uh, even if it were the primary financial driver of the agency, it's already required by law to go back into the wildlife management area system. And number three, people say, well, y'all need to be audited every single year to show accountability in this. We are. We are <laughs> audited just like every other, uh, every other state agency, and we talk about timber revenues every single month at our monthly 
commission meeting. So no one's getting rich off of timber sales. Uh, we can assure you of that one because the laws that are currently in place. But two, when you look at what's unmerchantable and the amount of man hours we have to invest just to go mark, to do hack and squirt, um, and the limited staff number, uh, staff that we have just to do the force management, it's not a moneymaker for us in any way. Very well put. And I would, I would tack onto that as an addendum that, uh, uh, it, I find it interesting and, and granted that the amount varies from, from year to year. Sure. Like you said, we've got a drought right now, so we're able to do more timber management, but, uh, uh, our Arkansas Wildlife Magazine that shares the name of this podcast uh, made almost as much money uh, last year as uh, timber sales. And our very popular license plate program, the beautiful license plates that uh, you see on vehicles, uh, make uh, made about three times as much last year right. as, as timber sales did. I, 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 th- yeah. I think that really That's, puts uh, it in perspective. It I mean, yeah. uh, so... Um, Anyway, uh, w- one other aspect of that before we r- wrap things up, uh, I, this is a podcast that could probably go on and on. It's a very, it's a complex thing to, to talk about and, and to try to try to you know uh, create awareness, and understanding of what we're trying to do. But the it's kind of tied in with this 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 financial part, but also with the difficulty of effectively managing our timber it's just not easy to do especially in these bottomland areas right i mean maybe address the difficulties of 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 achieving our wildlife uh, habitat and management objectives through timber harvest because it's not like oh we snap our fingers and we everything happens the way we want it to do no not not at all i mean these folks they've there's prescriptions out there that have been written and, and don't think that they're they're written and then nobody considers them when it comes time to act. But there are prescriptions that have been developed that are many, many years old. And we've just not been able to take action on them because habitat conditions and site conditions haven't allowed it. Nobody wants to bid on that. So this goes through a sealed bid process. All of our all of our timber harvest all, all those contracts are let through a sealed bid process. And there's some of them we get zero bids on. So it's not like if this was lucrative for the for the logger, wouldn't they show up? Wouldn't we have, you know, 20 people showing up to try to try to go cut this timber? We're asking people to conduct pretty low value timber harvests on our properties compared to commercial forestry. Sure. And so so there it's a, just a different perspective and yeah, we've got we just don't have site conditions. We don't have contractors available sometimes. And and so it takes a lot of work to to build up to the point where you let a contract to do forest management, get right site, proper site conditions. So a lot of what we do is through things like wildlife stand improvement where it's that's where we're paying someone to do the forest management. Uh, we don't do, you know, hack and squirt recall that people are familiar with injection on trees you're not going to do that on a fully mature you know dominant crown willow oak or overcup oak but a lot of our habitat management goes that route uh because it can be done a little more in, in more variable site conditions and that's a that's an expense in our in our budget that's a line item expense not revenue right we put that we send that money out the door and it requires a bunch of staff time to to implement and oversee those projects as well so it's all part of a collective effort 
to, to do proper forest management through a bunch of different means. Kind of wrapping things up, uh, looking l- looking to the future and, and, and talking about w- what we're doing now. Let, let's maybe turn to an example of where we uh, see or are beginning to see the results of some past work like this. Wattensaw? Uh, Wattensaw is, yeah, more of an upland site as well. We've got great stuff going on there. Um, we, we've got a bunch of forest management. If you go away, I know, Trey, you've been there a, a bunch of times in North Arkansas um, on Spring River, WMA. And Gene, yeah. Gene Rush, yeah. WMA, we've shown that active Harold forest e. Alexander, ma- yeah, Her- yeah. Uh, I mean, extensive work up there with with ex- aggressive timber harvest and fire totally changed those those ecosystems around like, they, they actually have a unit on harold e. alexander that's called the powder keg because there was so much removed and and, and all the debris from that when they went to burn it they're like well, this is going to be a powder keg yeah, you know, yeah, we yeah, gotta yeah be careful how we do this yeah now you've got a place that's got 800 species of plants where it had you know, I, I don't know, dozens maybe. Yeah, we were up there ago. on a on a on a, a trip to document some of that with Theo Witzel from uh, Natural from Heritage. Heritage. Yeah, and, and he said it is the most diverse, uh, botanically diverse wildlife management area, yeah. and that is because of timber management. And I think another really good example, though less on the timber management side, uh, just about the value of disturbance and prescribed fire is uh, Rick Evans' Grandview Prairie. Um, I mean, the wildlife diversity there is incredible, and it's no coincidence whatsoever that that also has one of the the most highly pursued deer permit hunts because the deer out there are monsters. So bottlements, Trey, real quick. Yeah, yeah, I was going to wrap up. You read my mind, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so some GTR ones where oil, bottlement forests where they've done some some work is out at Henry Gray Hurricane Lake, which we've talked about a bunch over the years for some severe – timber mortality over the past five years let's we do a whole nother podcast to get to the specifics about this one because i think it's a really really fascinating example where we've had infrastructure at Henry gray hurricane lake for years and years that has artificially held water at one at a 192 feet mean sea level elevation well 2011 i believe went in and did a pretty aggressive timber harvest at about 193 msl at hurricane got a lot of questions and and uh feedback about that um and a lot of nut all oaks it was to generate nut all oaks it's really hard to work in this right now i'm trying to focus and like we're dealing with paper towels a dog you should see we're gonna have to have coop make an appearance with with her disaster absolutely before before we wrap things up but but at 193 msl and a lot of nut all oaks not a lot but but substantial numbers of nut all oaks were taken during that harvest and you go out and look at it now, just one foot above where we know we have major timber health issues, we've got phenomenal red oak regeneration going on. So we can we can make these changes work. This is possible. You just have to set the stage um, and get the water right and, and do get pretty aggressive with the timber management. Before we wrap things up and, and uh, let, let Coop uh, take a bow, a little curtain call here. Uh, touch on Dagmar because that's another that's one where we yeah. where, where we've done uh, the combination of uh, basically not intentionally holding water on mudslough GTR the last number of years 
in conjunction with some uh, with a timber sale, I believe what twenty sixteen was a. I think that's right, Trey. We had um, yeah, and that that one's a smaller GTR compared to most to what most of them we have. Right. You know, single structures, a uh, little easier decisions to be made on that one. Um, but but yeah, I had I had a timber harvest there. Just said, hey, we're not going to close the structure at at Mud Slough GTR. We still had overflows from the Cash River about every year really still some hunting opportunity oh yeah and, yeah yeah and that, got habitat yeah. for ducks and we've got hunting opportunity but no artificially held water behind the, that infrastructure and we're up into the continue our fo- habitat folks continue to go back and and see uh red oak nut all oak typically regeneration in the hundreds of stems per acres is now approaching advanced regeneration which would be you know the stuff that's getting six to eight feet tall and you're pretty confident that it's going to it's going to survive and actually would probably be time to think about considering managing that that gtr again you've got some you've got some trees tall enough now to take a little bit of limited overwinter management to, to provide more reliable waterfowl habitat and hunting so it all works together um you know success is possible um, and that, we've got several examples of that it, it's fascinating stuff uh no no doubt and uh I feel like we've barely scratched the surface, but yeah. hopefully there is some greater uh, awareness and, and understanding uh, for those who've listened to this this broadcast about what we're doing, why we're doing it, and, and how it will benefit uh, wildlife and, 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 as you said, Austin, the people who enjoy pursuing that wildlife in, in the long run. You can always go to agfc.com to uh, find out more or if you want to send an email or you know question or give us a call. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're here. We're around. Uh, I, I think this would be the appropriate time to bring Coop in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Coop is fired. Uh, <laughs> she's fired from the podcast. <laughs> Uh, uh, she's definitely scratched co- the surface. Co- co- <laughs> like, Coop's Coop's, uh, Coop's uh, uh, debut uh, uh, appearance on the Arkansas Wildlife Podcast. Uh, are you saying will be also uh, yes, her last? Her first and last. She has uh, successfully shredded an entire roll of paper towels. Uh, and uh, and bless Forrest Talley, our podcast uh, producer, yes. for uh, not only uh, manning the controls and making us look good and sound good, but uh, keeping Coop mostly entertained <laughs> well yes. she's kept us entertained it <laughs> yeah, well, still is do we, do we, yeah yeah good times proud. good times yeah. uh, <laughs> a, lot of, a, lot, a lot of pride dead moment yeah. luke naylor uh, chief of wildlife management austin booth director of arkansas game and fish uh, thank you all so much for uh, joining us today and uh, thank you for listening we'll catch you next time on the arkansas wildlife podcast